uh, to, to have that. So we uh, just really deeply appreciate you all, and um, you know, we stay in touch regularly with Jeff and James and, and Elliot, and so it's just been a huge blessing to us, and honestly, I don't even know where we'd be uh, without you all. So, so genuine thank you, and I say that on behalf of my wife Heather and my kids and, and all that stuff too. Um, all right, let's, let's jump into our scripture passage this, uh, this morning. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start in chapter 2, and right at the end, verse 28, and then 3, 3. So uh, y'all say scripture together, I believe. Uh, it'll be on the screen. If not, I'll, I'll read it. Will it be on the screen again, Danny? All right, so let's uh, say these words together. I'll uh, do what Jeff does and give us a countdown. Here we go. 3, 2, 1. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure." So, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I'm not sure how you feel about listening to a Canadian speak on the 4th of July, um, but here we go. Uh, I think you could kind of compare it to like America's Got Talent, where it's your show, but foreign judges will be judging you along the way. Um, now, I will try my hardest not to make any snide remarks like Happy Treason Day or anything like that, but... Uh, I'll keep those comments to myself. But seriously, though, I do love living in North Carolina. And, um, and you know, every once in a while, still, I'll get, like, you're not from around here, are you? Uh, kind of comments. And so, but I used to get it a lot more uh, before, you know, I started adapting the accent um, a little bit. So you, you'll probably catch some things here and there. There's a video posted a few years ago on uh, YouTube called Where Are You From? I don't know if some of you have seen it, but the setting, let me paint for you the setting of it. It's a, it's a, a woman who's Korean who's a runner. We know she's Korean because she reveals that later on in the video. But there's another runner that passes by her, and he just uh, stops and he, he, he kind of walks up to her and says, hey there, nice day, huh? And she says, yeah, finally. And he responds, huh, where are you from? Your English is perfect. And she goes, San Diego, we speak English there. <laughs> and then he goes, no, 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 he shakes his head and says it a little louder. No, 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 where are you from? She says, well, I was born in Orange County, and, uh, but I never actually lived there. And he goes, no, 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 before that. She goes, before I was born. And he goes, yeah, where are your people from? <laughs> and it just gets worse and worse from there. But it's brilliantly put together to spot how we oftentimes can ask really awkward, rooted in ignorant and self-entitled curiosity type questions at best. Now I want to take that picture and sort of flip it on its head a little bit. Imagine 
people walking past you, but rather than see your skin color or what you're wearing or your ethnicity, uh, they see the overflow of your love for Christ and your faith for him and your love for your neighbors. It's so great. People are like, what planet are you from? Imagine that. Imagine your lifestyle that is so foreign that your love is the catalyst for people to say, where are you from? 1 John 3, verse 1, one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible, says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. That first statement there, uh, see what? See what love? See what kind of love? That literally means from what country? Like, from what country? What kind of foreign love is it? that you are called a child of God. Now this morning, we're going to explore um, this foreign love. We're going to explore three ways in which it and uh, God's, God's otherworldly love changes our love. That is, the God's love influences our love. So we're going to talk about it in three parts, if you like to take notes. God's love changes our identity today, shapes us for tomorrow, and shapes our behavior in the in-between. So God's love changes our identity today, shapes us for tomorrow, and shapes us for the in-between. So we begin with our, our identity today. It says God's love changes our present identity because uh, we are God's children. That's what we read, right? 1 John 3, 1. See what kind, see what un, like, like unearthly kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. This is a present reality for, this, for us. In the beginning of John's gospel that he also wrote, he writes this, chapter 1, 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, so when you believe in Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave what? the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you're a Christian, being a child is not uh, recognized by ethnicity or accent or epidermis tone, right? God's otherworldly love came in and engulfed you, and the Holy Spirit made you a new creation, made you something entirely new from the start. Nicodemus asked, well, how does this work? Do I need to go back into my mom's womb? He's, he's not even thinking. He's, no, this is, this is God's doing to us. God's outlandish love came within to change you. Now, how do we understand this? Well, the word children in our passage has the sense of beget to it, or to beget. So um, John Stott points this out, and I think it's really helpful, because it, it has a sense of inheriting a way of being. Um, it's like the difference between identity and, and bloodline. All right? So for Jesus, because he was the father's son, begotten son, he inherits all the character traits. He is the full expression of the father, right? Because he has received that eternally. 
But we are also children of God. So how do we understand this? Well, fortunately, in the 16th century, Christians were asking that same question and answered that for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. It says this, Why is he called, that is Jesus, God's only begotten Son, since we are also children of God? And the answer there is because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, by Christ's sake. So, so we are adopted, begotten children. That the Spirit grafted you into this new lineage, this new heritage, this new genealogy, this new spiritual ethnicity, if you will. Now, our culture is really big on self-identification, right? Well, what gives the Christian its primary sense of identity is being a child of God, period. And all other senses of identity hang on that one primary true identity of who we are, children of God. And there's a sense of of urgency that John wants to make sure we know about. He's like, I really want you to know this. So you see it in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. He could have put a period right there. But no, it's like, and so we are. Like now, today, not tomorrow, today. And then verse 2 says it again. We are God's children, what? Now. Today. This is your identity. It's a claim of assurance that we can take to the bank today. Yesterday, we had a conversation about half an hour every other week. There's a group of us that do door-to-door evangelism, like old school. And we're having this conversation like over a half an hour probably, maybe about half an hour with, with, a, with a Muslim man who was very articulate um, and actually told us that he had interfaith dialogues before and panels and churches. Anyway, so it was a very interesting guy to talk to. And, and we asked him, well, what kind of assurance do you have that you're going to make it to paradise? And his response was, well, you don't know. You have the five pillars of the faith that you need to live out, and you just hope for the best. And we kept pushing him. It's like, well, you know, for the Christian, we have that assurance. We know, and it's not anything that we need to do. It's through faith alone. And anyway, can you imagine Every day thinking, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll make it. Maybe. It's not you will be a child. It's not, well, maybe you are. No, this is a statement of fact. You are now a child of God. And if you're, ch- if you're a child here, you are now endowed with this otherworldly love that changes who you are and how you operate in this world. You are dubbed child, no matter what. No matter how old you are, no matter what you've done. Now, how do we understand this? Well, there's a really great curriculum out there called Sonship. Some of you may know Sonship. And uh, it's a curriculum, it's a discipleship program you go through, and it's helping you, it helps you understand how to have a, a sonship mentality. For just today's purposes, I'll just use the, the concept of adoption mentality. And they compare in this curriculum the difference between an orphan mentality and an adoption mentality. And this is what he says. Um, or this is what the curriculum says. We're comparing like two columns. An orphan mentality tries too hard to please. Or an adoption mentality is cries, Abba, Father, and expects to be heard. There's a story I heard about a couple that went to go visit an orphanage, and it was filled with babies, all cribs. And they thought, well, where are all the babies? Well, the babies are all in the cribs. They have learned 
that crying doesn't make a difference in their life. So it's completely silent in there. As children of God, we get to cry out, Abba, Father, help me. That's like the primary, essential quality of being a child is dependency, right? Let's compare a few others here. Lives in a success-fail basis. Okay? Succeed, fail. That's how we operate oftentimes where an adoption mindset is partnership with God. One side, little faith, lots of fear. Other side, working to trust in God's plan. Rebellious versus strength to be submissive. Think of that concept. Strength to be submissive. Not teachable, teachable. Needs to be right, safe, secure, and take risks and fail. When I think of that one, I think of church planning for myself. It's a risk. <laughs> and every day, I've got to remember, adoption mindset. I can do it myself versus I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Has a critical spirit, praises and encourages often dissatisfied, focuses on what is good and lovely, gossips, that is, confesses other people's sins, whereas freely confesses personal faults. Points to personal accomplishments, boasts in her weaknesses. We can do this all day. And, and, and when we go through that list, I know you're thinking, oh, that one was me. Oh, maybe not that one. Oh, oh, man, that one hit me, right? Because we slip into that orphan mentality. When you today, today, are called a child of God, begotten with this, 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 this endowed beauty of, of God's love. And so, before we move on, just, just make sure you, you know who you are. You know who you, what your identity is. God's foreign love created a foreign identity that creates such peace that nothing external can influence that confidence. And of course, we're not going to experience that fully in its fullest form, its perfect form, until Jesus comes back. Because it's always going to be a battle. There's always going to be that tension. But the goal is to remember and claim your identity along the way. But let's now look at the future. Let's look at this massively hopeful future. God loves, God's love changes our identity today, but also shapes us tomorrow. Okay, that's where we're going to move on now. Shapes us tomorrow when? When Jesus comes back. There are two verses in our text that talk about the return of Jesus. One has to do with being changed, like another identity issue, and the other one has to do with um, mindset. Okay? So the first one is verse 2, where it says, uh, Beloved, we are God's children now. Okay? And, and then he draws us to the future here. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So the flow of thought here in verse 2 is this. We are God's children now. Someday we will be something different. But we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So when we see him as he is, what are we going to see? We're going to see the king. We're going to see Christ, the king. Right? We're going to see 
royalty. Therefore, we will experience royalty. We are his brother. We sang about that this morning. We are co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, we get to experience that same royalty as God's adopted children. And then there's uh, not only royalty, there's righteousness. We get to experience righteousness. The same way, like Christ is pure and righteous. We get to experience that. We will never sin. We will never be able to sin. Because we will be made totally righteous. We'll be real. We'll be able to have authentic, real relationships with people. They will see you for who you are and love you. God will see you who you are and love you, which he is already doing today and which we often doubt. You don't have to put up a fake profile. People will see who you really are. You will be real. You'll be royal. You'll be righteous. You'll be real. And let me just stop for a second. How awesome is that? Like, how awesome of, of a picture that is. And it's so funny how John writes it. You'll see him, and boom, you'll be like that too. It's like, how is that? I don't even know how that works. This is like, you see, we'll become this way because we've seen him. So somehow, like, that imprint of who he is will be adopted somehow, transferred onto us as well. Beautiful picture of our future. And something I need to remember every day when I'm struggling or in pain or I'm doubting or whatever issues that you're working out. Remember, we have an end game that's absolutely beautiful. As children of God today and as children of God in the future. Okay, so that's, that's the, one, um, the one thing about the future, right? Our change of identity. Um, but there's also a change in mindset. And that's where we're going to go to verse 28. So just before chapter 3, it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So as a play on words in this passage, confidence comes from the word paresia, and uh, coming is the word parousia. So we're going to experience confidence, paresia, at the parousia, at the coming, right? That's a a helpful point. David Jackman brings that up, and I think it's helpful to remember the connection between the two. Confidence at his coming. Confidence at his coming. Now, let's work this out a little bit. How does this work? This is a concept I just was working on this past week because I've struggled with it in the past. I want to work it out with you today. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says this. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light, hear this, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, I don't know about you, but that passage freaks me out. Right? What does it say? Disclose the purposes of the heart? What does that mean? Like, will it be like a PowerPoint show of each of our lives? And it's going to be like, check out this. And check out this sin. Check out this darkness. Check out this purpose of the heart. Right? As a kid, that really freaked me out because I'm thinking, I don't want people to know about that. But I think what 1 John is telling us is that when we look at that slideshow, we're not going to be looking at it with shame. We're going to be looking at it with confidence. We're going to be saying things like, look at how deep the Father's love came for me. He saved me from this. Right? 
And we're going to kind of go around and put and nudging each other like, check it out. Isn't that amazing? All that Jesus did for me to save me. Total confidence. Now, I'm not giving you the excuse to sin so you can celebrate more in heaven, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. But it's going to be just a, it's just going to be total confidence. Like, I imagine a picture up there with you, like, as a kid, stealing a cookie out of grandma's cookie jar, right? And you look at that, I'm like, man, that was such a loser move. But then there are other things that we could see. It's be way beyond being a loser, Idolater, manipulator, cheater, traitor, abuser, discriminator, judgmentalist, accuser, narcissistic, cruel. None of those things are going to hold water. None of those things that you have hauled on to your, in your own heart will hold any water in the future. Because you'll be able to see those issues and say, look how far the Father's love went down to save a wretch like me. Right? Can I get an amen? How awesome is our God? And then there's the shame part. So this, this is... This is not the experience of the Christian, okay? So the experience of the, the shame part, like the confidence is for the, the Christian, those in Christ, those ch- children of God, but for those apart from Christ, this is what shame looks like. I want to read for you a passage out of, Re- of Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17. This is the experience for them. It says this, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That's the experience of those who will shrink back. Not the confident ones. Not the peresia ones. And so my question for you this morning is, which group will you belong to? Like, I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? I'm preaching to church people. But we need to ask ourselves that question. If you're someone here who's struggling with faith, this is an invitation for you. Think through seriously. Am I a child of God? Am I going to be one of those confident ones? Because I'm here this morning, we're here this morning to tell you, that all that stuff that you feel like is, is keeping you down, those identities that keep you locked up, they will not have a hold on you someday. Completely, you'll, you'll be completely freed of how you have self-identified yourself. Christ gives you that identity. Now for some of you may be wondering, well, what does that look like? Like, how do I know? <laughs> How do I know if it's a child of God? Well, we know it begins with faith, right? And what does faith do? Well, faith produces fruit. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of this morning's sermon. Is sort of a litmus, lit, litmus test of how you know you are a child of God. So, so just to recap, God's love changes. Our identity today uh, shapes us for tomorrow and shapes our behavior in the in-between. 
So it shapes our behavior in the in-between. Verse 29 says this, if you know that he is righteous, hear this, this is confusing, typical John language here, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So this is an amazing statement. And we're going to flip it backwards. So hopefully it makes more sense. Why John just didn't write this way, I have no idea. Um, maybe he was a little crabby that day. But anyway, if, if you're born again, it says, if you're born again, you practice righteousness because you know him. If you're born again, you practice righteousness because you know him. In other words, as, as um, what's his name? Um, David Jackman, he writes, the habit of righteousness is the proof of the relationship. Okay, so the habit of righteousness is the proof of the relationship. And I talked about the experience that those in shame will experience. Well, what will the experience be for the bride of Christ? We know that in Revelation 19.8 it says that the bride of Christ was dressed in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is what? The righteous deeds of the saints. And I always find that's such an amazing statement because as a good Reformed theologian, I want to say, I want to say the righteous deeds of Jesus that was like transferred onto us, his righteousness. No, it actually says deeds of the saints. Deeds of people. So it's still the Holy Spirit doing the work through us, but we're going to be dressed with these good works someday. Amazing statement. So foreign love demands foreign living. Okay? So we have the concept of righteousness. Now we're going to focus on the concept of purity, which comes out in verse 3 here. So verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And it's the continual habitual process of being made pure. So we have what John Stott says, John's reason for writing about the return of Christ and our final state is not theological, but ethical. Like, I'm not talking about the varying different views of end times. I'm not talking about post-millennial dispensationalism or any of that stuff, right? I'm talking about ethics because the end influences our behavior right here and right now. Colin Cruz writes, the hope of being like Christ in the future expresses itself in an effort to purify oneself to be like him in the presence. In the present, excuse me. So we have this um, righteousness and we have this purity. Practicing righteousness and, and, and practicing purity because of, of this future vision of the Christian person. Now, I don't know how many country music fans there are here, all right? I don't know the audience that well. Probably not a ton. But anyway, um, there's a great song out there by Tim McGraw who, who wrote the song, Live Like You're Dying. Okay, Live Like You're Dying. And the chorus goes like this. I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Live like you were dying. And I think for the Christian, we actually kind of can word that a little differently. We don't say live like you were dying, but it's more like live like you will be living. Right? Because for us, death is just what? It's a blink of an eye. Live like you will be living today. So let's work this out a little bit further. I'm going to push this a little further this morning. 
This is an introspection, right? Introspection time where we focus on who we are today, who will we be in the future, and how we will behave along the way, all right? So with works of righteousness, practicing righteousness, I think has to do with addition. What are you adding to your faith to grow in righteousness, to practice righteousness? Like, think about it. Like, maybe, maybe your prayer life is just awful. Like, or maybe you haven't picked up your Bible in weeks. Maybe that's just not part of your rhythm at all. Maybe you need to add acts of service to your daily, your, 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 your weekly routine. Maybe you need to schedule some type of door-to-door evangelistic thing going on in your own world. Like, or maybe you just have to join a church plant. <laughs> Sorry. Shameless plug, shameless plug. But seriously, like, what are the things that you're doing to add, to add to your faith? Like, maybe you need to create a bucket list. Like, remember that Parks and Rec episode where Andy created a bucket list and they drove to the Grand Canyon and he asks the question, where are all the faces? <laughs> the, the presidents, right? So that po- the point of that episode was for him to do stuff, for him to do stuff so he could, he could kick that bucket list and say, I, I got it all done. What is it that you need to add to your practicing righteous bucket list? Write it out. Like, be practical about it. Put it in your Bible. Put it on a bookmark. You're looking at it every day. I'm going to be praying for this person every day. I'm going to take a young person out for coffee and mentor that person. Like, whatever the case may be, grow in practicing righteousness because by doing so, you're affirming that who you are as born again, as God's child. What do you need to subtract? That's the next question. What do you need to purify? So, and we're not talking essential oils or some type of detox diet, right? I'm talking about how you're seeking ways to purge yourself from behavior that is completely incongruent to being a child of God. And when I ask that question, oftentimes I think there are things that pop in your head, be like, yeah, I got to give that up. For some of you, it's, I want to give it up, but I can't give it up. And so that's the beautiful thing about the church, is we get to spur one another on, encourage one another. So don't do it alone. Like, think through someone who you can choose by, like, look, I need to meet with you every other week to talk about these things that I need to purge myself of. Because, that, again, like I said, that verb is habitual. It's a continual process of purifying yourself. And, of course, it's, it's not a self-help thing, okay? So make sure you hear what I'm not saying, which is not my quote, but I really like it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this is all your work. This is the Holy Spirit working through you, helping you understand your identity in Christ as righteous and as pure. So let's wrap up. I'm going to wrap up just with a few questions for you and ask you this question. Are you turning heads along the way? Like, are you stopping people in their tracks and people asking you, where are you from that you love so deeply, so generously? Where are you from that you care about me so much? 
Where are you from that you forgive so excessively? Where are you from that you practice righteousness so well? What, where are you from that you desire to purge yourself of this stuff? That, like, who cares if you do it? Jeff um, sent me an email, sent all those people who are preaching this summer an email asking us to introduce the sermon with certain words. Uh, I'm going to conclude with them. Jeff's not here, so I can get away with that. Um, but here's words from your pastor. The overall theme of 1 John is a call to the basics of the faith or back to the foundations of Christianity. 1 John reminds us that God measures our discipleship by one metric, our love. Love of God shown in our obedience and love of our brothers and sisters. No matter how educated or theological or wise or sophisticated we think we are, we need to go back to basic training. Are we growing in love? It's a great question. And if you still don't know what I'm talking about here, pick up your Bibles and read about Jesus. Read about who Jesus was, how he operated. How he constantly just looked for the attention of his father over the attention of the crowd who, who, who just um, ignored the popularity and the wealth. He wasn't trying to turn heads in Rome. He was just turning heads in Galilee, right? What's Galilee? Throughout, he was guided by the will of his father. And then as you continue to read through those books, those gospels, you find that Jesus lived as if he was dying too. That when he came, he just didn't suddenly appear as a full-grown man and die on a cross. No, he had this life to live. He was born, and he lived, and he taught, and he healed, and he talked about the kingdom. Why? So that he could be that pure and spotless lamb for the sacrifice to be effective. That he practiced pure righteousness, and that he stayed away from all temptation in order for him to be that, that lamb that we needed him to be. And now you, we, are called to be living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. We live because Jesus died for us. And today, live today like a child of God to add to your faith and subtract the imperfections to grow as God's adopted, begotten child. Let's pray. Dear gracious Lord, we pray this morning that, uh, that your Holy Spirit will have imprinted in our minds and our hearts that we belong to you and that we belong to your family, that we are labeled children of God, fully dependent, crying out, Abba, Father, and someday looking forward to this royalty and this righteousness and this realness. Uh, it's a vision of the future, Lord, that gives us so much hope within the stuff that we experience today. The goods and the bads. And so, Lord, we pray that you will equip us as we leave this place. As we have this, a vision of who we are today and experience that. As we have a vision of the future, of what we will be. Give us strength in the in-between to add what we need to add and to subtract what we need to subtract. We can only do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray 
for his work in our lives. In this moment, as we leave the, this, as we live the rest of this week, as we will, will, will try our best, Lord, to grow, and as we need to come back to church the next week and just repent and f- be fed once again along the way. We thank you for the community of church. Whether we're worshiping in the same place or not, we thank you for the body of Christ to spur one another on, to encourage us to do good works, to give you all the glory, we pray. In Christ's name alone, amen.